Welcome to Spectrum in Review with myself, Danny Staples. And me, Chris Rigby. And I'm going to be bringing more energy to this next episode of the soon-to-be award-winning podcast. That is indeed the goal, anyway. I don't know about you, Chris, but that's definitely my goal. Yep. Awards are plenty. And if not, we'll make our own and, you know, give them to ourselves. Pat on the back. Well, yeah, but I mean, that's, that's loser talk, to quote Homer Simpson. So we won't be giving ourselves an award, but we aspire to win an award. But to do that, we have to enthrall you all listening to this and engage you in a way that no other podcast in fact probably every other podcast has managed to do by reviewing Jerry Anderson's Super Mario Nation series Captain Scarlet and today we're going to do that with episode 2 Winged Assassin so I think I'd start by just seeing how you are Chris I've not spoken to you properly in a week or so now I'm doing pretty well taking life as it comes I guess just uh, it's very it's very slow I'm, I'm you, trying to not mention the lockdown, but it's hard not to. It's it's absolutely everywhere, but are you it's okay? going pretty well overall. <laughs> <laughs> Scatterbrain as usual. That's fine. That's why I've asked you, that is why I've asked you to help me. Yeah, I've been okay, mate. I've been working, been doing uni work, and um, more importantly, probably watching Captain Scarlet, or at least trying to do some research into it, because what I thought we were lacking in the last episode was a lot of the sort of, well, I don't know, what we... Some of the humour behind the episode, I suppose. I think because I'm so fixated... That's not the word I'm looking for at all. I'm so determined to get people into this series as much as I am. I'm taking it very seriously. And we have to remember, it's a kid's show. And it's very light-hearted. Yeah. Well, you say that, but... (laughs) Well, actually, you've just reminded me. Yeah, light-hearted. I think you alluded to the fact in a previous episode that was the new Captain Scarlet as violent as the Captain Scarlet that we will be reviewing, which is the original series. Now, like I said then, I, I have not seen new Captain Scarlet, but Jerry Anderson's Fantasy site will periodically release a Primer video, which you can go on YouTube and see. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. But just recently, they've done one for new Captain Scarlet. It's about 20 minutes long, and I would probably go as far as to say it's probably more violent and more bizarre than the original. Just wow. based on that twenty-minute video, um, there is that's, one. That's impressive. Well, there is one thing in particular that's that. I mean, it's very reminiscent of Batman and Robin, and if you've seen that film, you probably know what I'm talking about. If you've seen the video as well, the Primer video. So, to sort of go back on what I said, mate, I, I think we may watch New Captain Scarlet at some point, but I don't know. I'd advise you to go and watch it anyway. Okay, so episode two, like we said, The Winged Assassin. So it originally aired October 6th of 1967, uh, which was a Friday night, if anyone's really interested. I think I, I actually think that gives you an insight into the kind of series they wanted it to be by having it on a Friday night. What did you think of this episode, Chris, before we start? I'm, I'm going to be pretty blunt. I did not like this episode. We'll probably get into reasons why as the show progresses, but me did not like this episode at all well i think for me i originally liked this episode and probably rose tinted glasses but when i actually went back and watched it with the whole purpose of trying to analyze it and scrutinize it and review it 
Um, no, actually, Chris, I agree with you. I did not like this episode at all. Yeah, Winged Assassin at the moment is not one of my favourites. But Plenty more to come. And with that said, Chris, should we crack on with episode two, Winged Assassin? Let's go right into it. So we obviously open with the credits scene again, the intro credits. The cinematography is exactly the same, although the narration has changed. So Captain Blue's narration from the first episode is now replaced with this narration, which will be used in every episode now for the series. And from there, we open with what appears to be a building scene. So it's a city at night, and we come to a bedroom where someone is pleasantly sleeping, or peacefully sleeping, I should say, or so we think. And an apparition starts to slowly descend from a rope and points a gun at the person sleeping in the bed. And before this man can fire from this rifle that has appeared, he is shot by none other than Captain Grey, who makes his first appearance. You, you say he has a gun. It's a flipping hunting rifle, and he's shooting him from a good two metres away through a scope, which I found really weird. Two metres because of a certain uh, pandemic that's going on at the moment, Chris. He was maintaining social distancing while shooting someone. I mean... I just felt it odd that he had this massive gun. Well, okay, as a guns expert, what would you have recommended instead? I mean, you see, you see Captain Grey use a pistol so that could have been good or maybe something that doesn't make a massive loud noise when you fire it if you're trying to stealthily assassinate someone can you not put a silencer on like an assault rifle or a a sniper rifle it it can but it's a it's a misconception silencers don't completely silence a shot they just compress the sound so it'd still make a a bang but just not as loud as it would if, if you fired it straight off without a silencer Say what, me bringing the gun toting knowledge to this episode? We only just kicked off. I know, and I've never handled a gun in my life. I watched a lot of MythBusters though, so maybe, maybe that's why. Well, we'll save that for the MythBusters podcast that we do in the future. This scene ends with the title sequence, "Winged Assassin," so we know that's the name of the episode, unless the individual's shirt was sponsored by Winged Assassin, which I doubt. So anyway, we cut to the next scene, which will be the intro credits for every episode now, where we get a rundown of all the characters. And we get Captain Blue, we get Symphony Angel, we get Colonel White, we get the Angels. And then we come to one of the best scenes, I think, which is a graveyard scene, to which the camera pans to the boots, the black boots of someone, and the camera pans to Captain Black in the middle of a graveyard. And as the camera which we didn't even mention in the last episode, to signify a change in scene, we have the famous... I'm not going to do an impression. But as that kicks in, the camera gets closer and zooms in closer to Captain Black's face, which is terrifying. I don't know about what you thought of that. Yeah, it it struck me. I was just like, why is he in a graveyard? Just out of context shot of him. We need a creepy place to show this creepy man. So I'm guessing because he's dead. I mean, that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, and, it's just it's just great. And to be honest, like when you, I've already mentioned the primers, so I may as well say them again. When when I've looked at a few of them, there's just the clearly the guys who are fans of Jerry Anderson and know a lot more than I do. They refer to him as a bit of a zombie. So I suppose if you, and not that I can find anything that specifically says that he was a zombie from the moment he went taken over. I mean. Uh, he died and then was reanimated, so 
I guess in the like broadest sense, he could be classified as a zombie. Well, I mean, he definitely—he definitely sounded like one in the previous episode. I don't think I—I I, I don't want to spoil it for the, for the episode, but I suppose you've probably seen it by now. When he makes an appearance in this episode, he doesn't actually speak. Also, I just quickly is that during those credit sequences, this is when the Mistrons are going to reveal their plan, and their plan is to uh, assassinate the Director General of the United Asian Republic. It's a a mouthful there. And he is in charge of 200 million people, which Colonel White lets us know, as he relays not only the threat of the Mistrons at Cloud Base, but he also relays the the urgency at which they have to protect him. At this point, Captain Blue is put in charge of the mission, and Captain Ogre, who makes his debut, asks Captain Blue will Captain Scarlet be joining him on the mission. And Captain Blue thinks that's highly unlikely. So, I mean, again, we're getting this, this, what will be a common thread throughout the series now. At the start of the episode, we're going to get the Mr. On Threat. Did you think this was a good sort of device to use? I, I really like it. The opening credits is one of the strong memories I have of Captain Scarlet as a child. You get the music from Barry Gray that's very iconic and has been stuck in my head since I was a child. And it's just a very economic way of basically relaying to the audience what the what the plot's going to be. The music used by Barry Gray, it's not... If you, can, if you think about Thunderbirds and you think about Stingray, I mean, this is such a, a contrast in the terms of the tense composition of the music. You know, it's not supposed to get you fired up. I think it's supposed to get you quite anxious and on edge. Oh, yeah, it's, it's very slow. And do you know what instrument it is? Is it string or is it synth? Uh, well, I don't think Kanye West was involved in this in any way, to be honest, mate. So it's probably more likely to be string. Yeah. Seeing as I'm not a, a musician, I probably couldn't answer that question if you know. Write in the comments section. I mean, if we get two listeners, that's an that's a, that's an achievement, I think. Mm. Mm. Both our mums. <laughs> yeah. We get to the next scene. Now, this scene, for me, first of all, watching it again now, and I think was the only time that I've, I felt embarrassed almost watching this, you know, in terms of how it was, how the examination of Captain Scarlet by Dr. Fawn. So we get into the Medi Bay, and as I've just said, Dr. Fawn, who is going to be the, the Doctor of Cloud Base, is examining Captain Scarlet with an unblinking Captain Scarlet with his feet protruding over a plinth in the most uncomfortable looking position with a with a bizarre looking helmet on. Dr. Fawn and Captain Scarlet discuss, um, or rather, Dr. Fawn is asking Captain Scarlet what he remembers of the, the accident from the previous episode with your, your man Captain Brown, Chris. Mm-hmm. Good old Captain Brown. Now, what's interesting about this as well is when they do a flashback of the car crash, the blue light that was present in the previous episode to signify the Mysteron's presence has just been taken away. So I thought that was quite interesting, obviously. But Captain Scarlet doesn't remember is the actual time that he was under the Mistron's influence, which we find out is six hours. And that is actually a cause of uh, contention amongst Captain Scarlet fans. The six-hour period, because there seems to be a, a bit of a, an inconsistency with it. Were you aware of this? No, I, I didn't pick up on that. Bear with me, Chris, because I can't do this justice without reading it. So this is from Chris Bentley's The Vault, the 50th anniversary Captain Scarlet book. So, early winged assassin... Captain Scarlet presents Dr. Form with his recollection of the events leading up to his death in the car crash, illustrated by the scenes from the episode The Mysterons. The implication is the Mysterons' retrometabolism process 
has duplicated the original Scarlet's memories and personality, as well as his body. Fawn goes on to state that Scarlet's mind and body were taken over by the Mistrons for six hours. This doesn't quite tally with the events seen in the Mistrons, where Scarlet fell from the London car view shortly after 9.35am, which is the time clearly indicated on a clock at the top of the car view. If Scarlet was under Mistron influence for six hours, the car crash happened at about 3.30am Greenwich Mean Time, which would be 10.30pm in New York, yet all of the New York scenes took place in broad daylight. And there we have it. Mm-hmm. So a uh, uh, little uh, continuity error there. It makes absolutely no difference in my mind, but yes, if you were really going to take this show literally, there's a little bit of a gaff there. But the main point to take from this is that he was under the influence of the Mistrons for six hours. It's beginning to fall into place. But Dr. Fawn then states that Captain Scarlet is virtually indestructible. What what did you not like about this this scene? Because I, I kind of liked it. I thought it was a good way of them outlining the parameters of his powers like this is what happened to you and this is what's wrong with you so you'll get caught but you'll heal up you can nearly die fatally and your body will reconstruct itself so i thought it was it was a good little um good little summary of of what happens to captain scarlet no but, I, I don't think the storytelling was the issue i think it's just the way it was just i don't know it did i at the end of the day, I've used the phrase with you, suspend your disbelief. And up to this point, I have and will probably continue to do it. Otherwise, I wouldn't do the series. But just looking at this scene, it just looks so clunky. And I think what they try to do is they got more proficient with these new puppets. Was they, they tried to limit the, the times that they looked puppet-esque. And I think you'll, you'll see what I mean as we go through the series. But they just look really unnatural. I don't know. Okay. Maybe I'm just being... Well, I am definitely being picky, but I think it just, uh, I, I don't know, it just took me out the scene a little bit. But I agree from a storytelling point of view. I like that's how it was explained. Mm. But anyway. I just, I just, I, I wish, I wish we got a little bit more from Captain Scarlet. What I found from these first two episodes is that everything seems to have like a lack of emotion to it. Like he's recalling basically dying and he says it without any seriousness or, and he doesn't really react to it learning that he's indestructible very well. And I don't know whether that's the limitations of the puppets or whether it's whether it's just the the way they wanted the show to be. So you're saying Captain Scarlet's wooden? I think you made that joke the last episode, but yeah. Francis Matthews, the voice actor for Captain Scarlet, was styling himself on Cary Grant, I think it was, if I've, if I've read that correctly. So whether Cary Grant was really monosyllabic and quite wooden, I don't know. I mean, I love Cary Grant, so... I'm sure he loves you. So we cut back to the cloud base desk where Colonel White obviously received a rundown from Dr. Fawn with regards to Captain Scarlet's condition and he states quite clearly doesn't quite understand all the implications of everything and more tests would need to be done. But he's prepared to allow Captain Scarlet back to active service, given the, the situation they find themselves in, and Captain Scarlet returns to duty. He's then to join Captain Blue on a flight to London to prepare to, for the defence of the uh, director of the United Asian Republic. So, I'll just get my point out quite quickly. 
because I think uh, I, I have a tendency to, to just take over the scene, Chris, as you know. But mm-hmm. given the fact that they don't understand what's going on, and given the fact that he was under the Mistron's control, they don't understand what's going on, I don't know whether it was a good idea to allow him back to active service. But they they know he's not under the control of the Mistrons. But how do they know he, that? I know. I, I thought the complete opposite. Like, you've got a guy who's literally indestructible. You know, send him out. What's the worst that's going to happen? Well, I'll be honest with you, Chris. The worst that's going to happen is that while they take off to go to London, he just punches Captain Blue in the face. They eject from the plane and drive towards the car view of London instead of the actual uh, airport. Forever doomed to repeat repeat the process. Captain Blue of Spain. Ah, cloud base. Captain Scarlet and Captain Blue have ejected. Captain Scarlet has taken Captain Blue at gunpoint to a nearby car, and they have now left heading in a northerly direction. Captain Scarlet's car has now turned off the M21 and is heading toward the London car view. Blue of Spain. Ah, cloud base. And that's that's an episode in itself. No, I just I mean, I don't know. I mean I'm I'm being a bit too harsh there, but it just seems I mean, don't get me wrong, it's they didn't just flippantly say, Yeah, you're fine. He's obviously addressed that they don't quite know what's going on, but under the circumstances, go back to to, to work, as it were. Yeah. We need you. He's fit for work. He's, re- he's had his uh, phased return. So Captain Scarlet joins Captain Blue in the Spectrum jet. He's flanked by the Angels as they make their way to London. Now, Colonel White ominously says that the seal has been made, but something is trying to break that seal. And this is when we get a close-up of the Delta Tango 1-9er, which is an airline jet that is to fly from New York to London by the looks of it. And just as the plane's getting ready to take off, we see Captain Black in a crowd of men, one reading the newspaper casually in the background, which I liked. And the flight takes off en route to London with Captain Black looking ominously. And uh, that is obviously a foreboding of what is to come. I mean, just the idea, if you were standing there with this fella, I mean... What would you be thinking? I mean, I'd I'd take a few steps away from him. He's very, very creepy looking, especially in the broad daylight. There's something about him in broad daylight that look, he looks very out of place. I mean, they're all quite, you know, normal complexions. This man is very pale, although his hands are a normal complexion. Anyway, so Captain Black watches this aircraft take off, and by the sounds of it, they they will be in London uh, in time for lunch as the pilots say. So the pilot, you might notice, one of the puppets was from the original episode of uh, Captain Scarlet the Mistrons. Um, Flight Navigator Conway was his name. He's one of the guys who was killed off in the first scene, along with um, uh, Lieutenant Dean. And Captain Black. So Captain Scarlet, Captain Blue, they arrive in London and requisition a... SPV from a, I presume, a factory owner by the sounds of things, receiving deliveries. Seems like a very eccentric man with his, with his dictaphone and speaking about how many measurements of steel that he was going to collect. I mean, I love I loved that you were really analysing that scene, Chris, because I couldn't remember what it was he was actually yeah. trying to log. But they start 
making their way to the London airport. And this is when we cut back to the Delta Tango at the, I believe, the point of no return, the PNR, I think they refer to it as. Yes, it's referred to as the PNR. I, they didn't mention what it was, but I guess point of no return makes sense. Obviously, I think it's referring to the fact that they're right in the middle of the journey now, so the two, they can't turn back, so they're sort of stuck. But obviously, the point of no return, obviously, what, what is about to happen. Use of jargon in scripts. It helps it make it feel more authentic. Out of nowhere, some of the engines start to fail, along with the electronics, and there's no power in the plane at all. And when they try to send a distress signal back to London, no signal being sent, nothing being received, it's just completely dead. And uh, I think uh, Flight Navigator Conway states that... It's as if someone or, or something has disconnected everything in the plane. And as we, I'm sure we know, it was maybe something to do with the Mistrons, but plane starts to descend from the sky and there's that sequence where the crew just look at each other sweating profusely without saying a word. Yeah, that's, that's my favourite scene of this episode. They know what's going to happen. It's just, we're going down. That fear of there's nothing we can do. It's really, it's really, it's like the best part of this episode. Prepare to die. So as the plane crashes into the sea, we see the remains of the Delta Tango emerge from the water, and just as the camera really cool shots, I, re- I really like that. Just that image of the the Delta Tango One Nine floating to the top of the water. And as you say, Chris, as the camera pans up, we see, hold on, another plane. It's an exact replica of the Delta Tango with what we now see for the first time is the rings of the Mysterons to announce their presence. So we've gone from blue light to green rings. Now, admittedly, we did see it in the credits as well, but we this is the first time it's used in, in an episode. Mm. So, Delta Tango has crashed. It's been misteronized, and by the looks of it, it's heading to London. So we then cut to Colonel White looking at the plan as it unfolds on the, the screen at, inside Cloud Base, and he's in contact with Captain Grey, who is protecting the director of the United... Director General, sorry, of the United Asian Republic. Also, we think it's actually a replica. And I think that's probably the easiest sort of shot to obtain from a puppet show because you don't have to change the actor. It's it's the same actor. Well, what did you think of the Director General? The real one or the fake one? Oh, well, the, the fake one. What did you think of his clothes? Um, well, he just looked like a general by the looks of it. Am I, am I, am because I got a big bang of military dictator from him with his Colonel Gaddafi uniform on. Well if you look at it he had what he has a, a red sash he has an accompaniment of medals and a, admittedly yeah he does look like a Colonel Gaddafi cap but he is a general so he's military he doesn't run the countries because presumably that's the world president I, I, I don't know because he said he's in charge of 200 million people. Yeah but then well we don't know maybe, maybe there is a history no. to him I, I don't know I was I was just doing what I always do, which is take stuff out of context and just blow it up in my head. No, I like it. I lo- I love that. I mean, it's it's again. I didn't think anything of it, but I don't know anything about this person, so I don't know what his history. Maybe he's a a ruthless dictator, and what eventually happens to him was a good thing. I don't know. Maybe we'll find out. Maybe yeah. there's some fan fiction out there where he's actually he overthrows the world president and. The whole world goes into chaos with the Mr. on Fret and the Director General of the United Asian Republic causing bedlam. I don't know. But what I do know is that Captain Grey is flanking him 
And this is when we find out that the Director General is actually a fake. And that the real Director General is actually waiting in, a, in another room for the arrival of the Spectrum Tanker, which will escort the real Director General and Captain Grey to the airport. Now, this is something that, again, I keep referring to these Primer videos. But there is something very special about Captain Grey. And I don't know whether it was at this point in the series production or whether it was something they just decided when the actor Paul Maxwell uh, couldn't voice act anymore on the show. But Captain Grey was supposedly going to be Captain Scarlet's right-hand man. I'll try and put a link to the video, but in essence, in all the sort of production photos and, and information that was released at the time, I think it was intended that Captain Grey was effectively going to be the Captain Blue of the series. Alright. So will it be Captain Scarlet and Captain Grey? So I think, I mean, I just think it's interesting considering that Captain Grey does play, well, I wouldn't say significant roles, but he's very prominent in some of the earlier episodes, mm. as we shall see. But I just thought it'd be interesting to get your take on that, what you think? I really like, well, like's a strong word, but the, the dynamic between uh, Captain Blue and Captain Scarlet is really good. I wouldn't say like's a strong word, so like cherish would be a, a strong word, or... Yeah, no, I, I think I think it's good. I like the dynamic as it is, and also I kind of like the the physical differences as well. Just him having blonde hair to me makes a big difference. He's very distinct from Captain Scarlet, whereas Captain Grey's kind of similar. But that's that's hindsight because you know that that's the partnership that was created to Captain Blue and Captain Scarlet. I love how you cherish their relationship, Captain Blue and Scarlet. But anyway, is he legally entitled to do this, Colonel? We are not concerned with the legality of the situation, Captain. Captain Grey and the Director General meet at the back of the building, where they are met by the, the Yellow Fox tanker. We see it, I think, one more time in the series, but, but they embark and they make their way to London Airport, where we meet Captain Scarlet and Captain Blue, who again relay that everything seems to be under control. We get another nice shot of Captain Grey and the Director General conversing in the Octane Tanker. Very plush, very... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Stylish. Yeah. Stylish. Yeah. With a glass of, of red in each hand. Which I don't know whether he's supposed to be drinking on duty, but who knows. But we see the Delta Tango 1-9 and making its way to London. And we actually get a, a misteronized voice of the, of the now deceased pilot asking for clearance to, to land. So much like the first episode, all the players in this scene are, are all coming together to culminate in what will be an action-packed final scene. We see Captain Blue in the airport stating that the mission seems to be going well at this point, and this is where Captain Scarlet begins to hold his head in some sort of show of discomfort. And what we seem to put together as an audience is that as the Delta Tango flight is coming into land, this pain and this, this discomfort increases in Captain Scarlet, suggesting that he's made aware of the Mysteron's presence. I just want to take you back to an earlier scene. We get one of the air traffic controllers suggests that they should use the radio to contract Spectrum. And in like a sort of almost paranoid way, Captain Blue says no and uses his own radio headset, which we see for the first time, I think. That's true. I don't. It isn't, to be fair. But, but again, I think what I'm starting to realise as we go into this episode is there's a lot of things we omitted from the previous episode. So, he does actually do it, but we didn't really refer to it in the Mister On. So yes, the, this the 
another example of how they communicate within Spectrum. But it's kind of like they know how the Mistrons operate now, so keep it as close quarters as possible. I suppose that's true. I, I didn't think of it like that. I just thought that my interpretation of that was just we have the technology, it's not necessary. Yeah, you know, th- th- there is there is that side of it. I did also think of that, but I just I just kind of thought they know that the Mistrons are everywhere and they can hack computer systems and planes and stuff like that. So I thought maybe they've learned the lesson from the first episode and are trying to keep it on the down low. Maybe. I mean, I suppose they wouldn't know either way, and that's that's part of the problem at this point of the series because they don't know what they're up against. And it's not until further on in the series where things start to reveal like little weaknesses in the armour of the Mysterons, but I'm sure we'll get to that as the episodes go on. So after Captain Scarlet's, what I suppose is a premonition, the Mysterons are present. So the Delta Tango lands in the airport, and as the air traffic controllers try to gain contact from the crew, there's no crew present. There is also no passengers present. And while they're scrambling to figure out what's going on there, Captain Gray and the Director General have arrived, and Captain Gray wishes the Director General good luck as he embarks his private flight from London Airport. From his point of view, this diversion has worked, and the Mistrons didn't suspect a thing. Delta Tango leaves the runway and is heading towards what we can only assume is the Director General's private flight, to which Captain Blue says he has to stop the plane, and Captain Scarlet insists they'll go with him. And this is where we get a bit of a an action scene where the SPV is chasing down the Delta Tango as the Director General plane tries to take off. As we saw from the, the first episode, uh, Captain Scarlet knows how to do its action scenes, and it's, I really enjoyed the chase. So, what I love about this as well, so we need we need a reason to get Captain Scarlet's hero status up and to demonstrate his powers so that the SPV is trying to lock onto the wheels of the Delta Tango to try and cause it to crash, but for whatever reason, the the cannons on board the SPV aren't working. Yeah, I thought that was the so, Well, it could have been. We, we don't know. That's what I'm guessing just, it was. It's just as it's jammed, you know. Yeah. I mean, the implication is it's the Mysterons, but, you know, I just think it's very... A, a clever way because it's something that could conceivably happen I suppose but again we don't know it's all questions at this point and so Captain Scarlet states that he's going to jam the wheels instead which Captain Blue exclaims that that would be suicide and this is my I love this line for you yes for me see you later see you later and just ejects him I think that's a great way to end the conversation that is a fug life moment for Captain Scarlet and I think a lot of men at that time and who were watching with their kids just stood and applauded with that line. It's a real man's man. So You see that, son? Captain Scarlet uh, rams the wheels of the Delta Tango, causing the Delta Tango to lose its course and causes the, the SPV to sort of fire off onto this adjacent field. But although the wheels have been damaged and the Delta Tango crashes, in a cruel twist of fate, as the Delta Tango's body of the plane turns at an angle the angle perfectly hits the the takeoff path of the director general's private plane causing it to crash and the death of the director general so the mr on succeeded i have a real problem with this ending because the the director general dies basically spectrum fail at what they plan to do and no one cares about it it's never followed up on 
like not even at the end of the scene that they don't seem upset about it and it's just really frustrating me because the whole episode is you need to protect the director general and they fail to make out it's vital and then nothing comes of it and it's just it's just really bad and I don't like it well I suppose we have to wait and see what happens in subsequent episodes whether anything actually comes of it and whether there's like a a damage to like the earth in some way but what I liked about that is the fact that they didn't always win I think I keep coming back to them but Thunderbirds and Stingray the heroes won in the end and within an episode of the series they've lost but they lose but they make it like it doesn't matter so what's the point in them losing you know I know you're going to say like maybe it'll play out later on but they don't even really address that the director general's dead. They never mention it, well, or it just seems really seems to completely negate the fact that what you were just talking about. Well, I suppose like the the well, I may as well just just we'll end the episode now because it's coming to the the end of um, of it anyway. But so we get a close up of Captain Scarlet in the remains of the crash, where he's a, a bloodied body from arm to forehead. And then we get, a, again, a change of scene where the, the ambulance is taking his body away with the close of a Captain Blue and the flight controller. The flight controller then says that, that he died in vain, which Captain Blue ends with... Maybe he didn't die. What? In vain. So nice little... I think that's a nice little end to the episode. So maybe it makes up for the, the, the casual blasé um, reaction to the Director General of the United Asian Republic's death. I mean, I don't think it does, because he knows that he's indestructible, he's been told. Captain Blue knows this. So why is he why is he kind of seem surprised that he's well not surprised. He he says that line like you know, he well, didn't I, die in- I don't think he Well I don't think he does at this point. I mean this is why he's 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 not sure, is he? Well, I don't know because they address it that in the first episode at the end and they kind of mention it it's alluded to in in this episode, so I would have, you know, I would have thought that like he knows what's happening, and well, he, he mean, says it, that it, line as well. So, I I just play that as it's still early days, and they don't know the extent, or whether it's it's whether he can even retro metabolize, he'll come back to life. He, he they're not he's not one hundred percent certain as a character, and it's sort of a well. Maybe he didn't die. You know, obviously the series continues, and we'll see. But I think at this point, it it's just this ep- that that final statement solidifies that he's going to come back to life. And now, from a spectrum point of view, they have got an indestructible member of their team. But so ends the episode, winged assassin of Captain Scarlet. So, Chris, overall, as we've we've reviewed the episode, did your opinion change of the episode? Is it still pretty much the same? No, I still don't like this episode. I think it's really generic. I really don't like the director general. I know nothing about him. I have no reason to care for who he is. Uh, I don't know what the stakes are for him dying or not, which is all stuff that should be explained when you're introducing a character or telling a story, or at least in my opinion anyway. Uh, Without that, you get what we got, which is people travelling from one place to another which basically kill time to this big action scene where there's like loads of explosions and violence and stuff which is good like like we saw in the first episode I'm not knocking that it's it's really well done 
but I feel the story in this episode is particularly bad just because this one character that the whole story centers on I have no idea about him or who he is or any reason for him, any reason to care for him it's very uh, bleak <laughs> from my perspective at least it no I, I I really don't like this episode and I think I mean there's that many episodes that I can remember scene for scene but this one it was a struggle and again it didn't although the big point of this I think is that the Mistrons are a very powerful and dangerous and formidable enemy to the point where no one's safe. I think that was the point that, well, you know, Spectrum aren't always going to win, which I think is really a good, unique quality of this series. I think as an episode, it didn't really get me as excited as the first episode, which seemed to have a lot of things going on, but it all flowed. I didn't really enjoy this at all, if I'm honest. No, I, I, I agree. And I think part of what I'm saying sort of plays in to what how you feel about the show because of course if the director general was more memorable maybe they have they have the opportunity to flesh him out a bit when he's sitting in the in the car with Captain Grey they could have had a conversation but they choose not to and they were drinking wine I mean that's usually yeah. opens someone up quite nicely yeah it's the perfect time to be like you know just give him a bit of character right put it this way if he was a woman they would get lambasted for having a woman character who just does nothing and is ba- she'd basically be a damsel in distress but because he's a man we kind of don't really see that if you understand what I'm saying you've got a minute to try and flesh out the character of the director general of the United Asian Republic give him a bit of a backstory go on I would um, if it was me you know just anything to make him like to make us care for him maybe well, go on, where did he grow like, up well, in Asia, somewhere. Oof. So it could be, it could be anywhere. I'd, I'd say, I'd go for China. You know, give him okay. a family. Give him like. Go on, what kind of family? Nuclear family? Quite a large family. Yeah, he's got like a wife and children. You know, stuff. Maybe, maybe not like that bland, but you know, just, just something because we literally know nothing about him. He's literally. How did he get to the rank of director? I mean, did he, did he, you know, kill people along the way in a ruthless sort of Soviet yeah. Union style, or was he? Did he play it by the book? You know, he stayed late in the office. And, well, you want to you, know. you want to make him like a you, you want to make him feel sorry for when he dies, not like so not he like, like you know donates to charities. You know, yeah. he's or just just anything because there is literally nothing to his character. He is no one. It, it okay. just really it just really frustrated me. Just they could have done literally anything, and it's it's part of it's it's really weird. But it just seems really counterintuitive that you're trying to make this person so important, yet you do nothing to make him feel important. I suppose to add to that, I mean, what's the point in the world president then? I mean, presumably, yeah, that's, that's, as the world president, that, that's you're just the in same charge issue. of everything. Yeah, I had that issue with the world president in the first episode. They just seem to pluck out these political figures that they give a title to make them sound important yet don't really do anything to make them feel important or relatable or, you know, anything that we can, like, empathise or sympathise with. I suppose I'll just point out that there's quite an elaborate backstory to a lot of characters in Captain Scarlet, at least from the books from Chris Bentley, so there may be something there that I've not read. You shouldn't have to read a piece of material to get a character's backstory. There should be something, at least something, in the, the actual film or the TV show to make you know who they are and get a sense of who they are and why they're important. 
it's it's basic storytelling. I'll tell you what, man, it's quite a scathing review, but I think it's a fair point. Okay, a bit more light-hearted. Let's go to our next segment, favorite kill. Yeah, my favorite kill. I'm, def- I'm definitely going to have to go with the Delta Tango one niner. That whole scene. That was that was the highlight of this week's episode. Just the way it was shot, the ending, the the fact that like the the puppet sweat. It shows the attention to detail and the, probably the most emotional part of the episode. So I guess that's probably why I'm so attached to it. Just that, like, how much of a difference that one look makes. I think you've hit the nail on the head, mate, with attention to detail, which is something that the, the guys at Century 21 Films, I think they were at this point. Yeah, they went to great lengths and they, and they would continue to do so as the series went on. I would say that mine is probably... The initial kill from uh, Captain Grey because it was very suave and he came out of nowhere. Yeah, very very Bond esque, well, isn't it? But I think, to be honest, mate, the Delta Tango scene was fantastic. But I thought I'd throw another one in there. I did like Captain Grey's kill. I, 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 think, I feel like I'm, I'm bashing it too much, but the Delta Tango 1 9 scene, that was really good. Of course, as always, as we've seen in the last episode. The chase at the airport's really good. The whole explosion and the plane crashing, it's very, very impressive. But at the end of the day, this is a TV show. And the reason, or at least the reason I watch TV is to, you know, it's it's the story that entertains me and it, that, that wasn't up to standard for me. Well, let's put this episode behind us then, Chris, and let's see if the next episode is up to standard. So join us next week, everyone, where myself and Chris are going to review... Episode 3 of Captain Scarlet, and uh, Chris, what is the name of that episode? Big Ben Strikes Again. And I believe this is one of the episodes that you watched as a child and know really well. It's definitely a, a classic. Well then, guys, join us for either an episode revolving around the clock striking again, or a big tall man named Ben striking from his job again. Who knows? But from me, Danny Staples. And me, Chris Ruby. We will see you next week. <laughs>